0: When you live to ticket before you kick it, it's pretty important that you power your adventure with the right nutrition. Not just when you decide to take on the biggest physical and mental challenge of your life, like I did retracing the 1928 Tour de France, but also as a part of everyday living, working overtime on a double shift, running the kids all over town to their sporting events, adding a few extra miles to your weekly hike, or getting sleep deprived with a hectic travel schedule. I'm proud to announce Bucket Nutrition is now an official sponsor of our podcast and just for you, giving a 10% discount on all Bucket Nutritional products. Go to Amazon.com and use promo code Bucket10, that's Bucket with an I-T, 10, for a 10% discount on Bucket Nutritional products. Great tasting, high performance nutrition to help you take it before you kick it. On a snowy winter night in Chicago, 2000, a 25-year-old budding writer finds a note on his windscreen. It reads, Mario, I hate you. You said you had to be at work and then why is your car here at her place? You're a liar, I hate you. I hate you, Amber. P.S. Page me later. This eloquent misplaced missive would soon join scores of other found notes and abandoned letters, eventually landing David Rothbard on David Letterman and kick-starting a professional people watching on paper career. I knew I couldn't go back. Your you way. just put it out there. She said you've got less than a year to the, even even. the residue of desire? Nobody else was doing it, so I couldn't. That
1: I? was the turning point.
0: Welcome to the Bucket Podcast with Phil Kogan. Every week, I talk to mavericks, disruptors, and innovators—people who ditch the excuses, swerve off the predictable road, and epitomize what it means. To ticket before you kick it.
1: You make sacrifices and, and, um, and, I, and I think too like even even your failures you know when you look back, you know yeah I, I could have had more money and even those fa- failures like you have to have, you have to enjoy it while you're doing it too. David Rothbard is a national best-selling author and a frequent contributor
0: to public radio's This American Life. He writes regularly for GQ and Los Angeles Magazine, and his articles have also appeared in The New Yorker and The New York Times. He's also a well-respected filmmaker. Medora, a documentary he produced about an underdog high school basketball team who fight to end their losing streak, won an Emmy in 2015. And his latest powerful passion project, 17 Blocks, which follows a Washington, D.C. family dealing with a harsh life in a neighborhood plagued by poverty, drugs, and violence, recently premiered at the Tribeca Film Festival to strong reviews. But more than the impressive professional credentials that Davey has, the best way to describe him is that he's a brilliant storyteller who delights in observing human nature and presenting it in an insightful, humorous, heartwarming and refreshingly candid way. His style strikes a chord with just about everyone because somehow you either recognize yourself or someone you know, especially in My Heart's an Idiot a book about Davey trying to find love in all the wrong places, something that a lot of us can relate to. I had the immense pleasure of sitting down with Davey recently when he poked his head up from writing, producing, and people-watching. I wanted the chance to get inside the curious mind of this fascinating person who clearly has an insatiable appetite for meeting people, spontaneous adventures, and for living life to the fullest. Well, I am with Davey Rothbart. We are in Los Angeles, and we're ready to have a little chat lots to talk about that's right excited to talk to you me uh, too it seems like you you're like me you, you you're fascinated with human behavior mm-hmm. understanding people how they tick what makes them work yeah w- where did that come from uh, that
1: passion i think it came from my parents yeah um they're you know my dad is the kind of guy who's you know just the the friendly mayor not actually the mayor of course but but just uh that mayor type yeah and so you know we'd like we i'd walk into a diner with my dad and by you know within 20 minutes the waiter or waitress would be like sitting down with us not you know they'd be chatting long enough they'd look around they'd be like i'll just take my break and just sit down with you guys and 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 he'd be asking them questions about their lives and and um and my mom she's well she's deaf first of all but she also um has been doing uh counseling uh like like uh spirit she, she channels an ancient spirit named aaron and and people uh and she also just sort of helps people through all through your their life problems. this was well uh, since i was like maybe 10 12 years old right and and she also so people started calling her for really just guidance and in their own lives and it, it wasn't it wasn't wacky new too new too wacky of new age stuff it was really more like someone would call and say my teenage daughter ran away and we're trying to find her can you you know as a psychic can you like help us find and by the way this is before the technology advanced so i was the one helping i was helping my mom handle these phone calls even when i was like 8 12 15 years old and 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 my mom would say well maybe i could locate your daughter for you but even if you just sent the police there and dragged her back like it's not going to it's not going to improve the issues around why she's left so let's talk about those things instead
0: wow and your and mom became a counselor Yeah, in that so, so
1: she's been counseling people ever since and, and but throughout my childhood i was the one i was just translating on the calls i was telling my mom you know using sign language telling them on the, what they were saying on the phone and then she would take the phone and the amount and, and of information that you would have been soaking up exactly
0: about human behavior yes human interaction
1: yeah I, I i think i just got drawn into the power and of other people's stories and just became sort of endlessly curious like you
0: yeah, I, I think to be curious is a wonderful gift. And I got that also from my parents. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, the house would be filled with people that we, my mom and dad had just met. Yeah. And we, as kids, my sister and I, we had to just deal with it. Yeah. And you had to suddenly strike up a conversation with a stranger. Yeah,
1: And it forced you to interact. I, I, I relate to that so much because my mom, eventually her her meditation center grew and they had their own building. But for most of the time when I was a kid, it was our house. Right. So there was classes there in the living room. There were, you know, I would, I'd get up on a Saturday morning in my boxers to like eat a bowl of cereal and watch cartoons. And, and the house would be, you know, there'd be 20 people milling around the kitchen. So it, like you said, it, it was, you were forced to interact and, and you started learning people's stories. And, you know, a lot of her long-time students are now, their family, you know, they're like my uncles and aunts kind of thing. So you, so, you, but you, you experienced that and well, was it ever, up, was it hard? Was it ever challenging? Were you ever frustrated? Like,
0: well, only because I had to give up my room so much because my mom and dad would ask people over to stay and then my sister and I had to give up our rooms right. so people could stay there. You'd, you'd crash on the
1: couch or, yeah, it, yeah, we'd
0: have to sleep wherever. Yeah. And, and my mom had 80 music students, so she's a music teacher. Mm. And then my dad being a scientist and they were just always people, they were just always inviting people in. <laughs> you know, I, I, I've, told this story before about my mom picking up some sailors she saw on the side of the road when we were in Antigua uh-huh. they were trying to find a laundry laundromat and my mom said no just come and do the laundry at our place
1: <laughs> you know it's so the next thing there would be like four sailors in the house she saw the value it sounds like of of what bringing people into your lives can do yeah and 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 how you know while she, yes she was doing them a favor but all of a sudden that day turned from a drab day you know doing yes. whatever to like hey here's these Guys, we can talk to about, and they're sailors, so they've been traveling all over the world themselves. You know, yeah,
0: and and it led to these long term friendships that you're talking about. Yes. And I, I think what it taught me too is just being open to the idea of meeting people. Absolutely, and it's incredible to me how many people are scared to just talk to a stranger. I encourage people to talk to people in an elevator, like yes. talk to a stranger, yeah, because that might scare some people.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, but it's funny though that that you frame it that way too, because my that was my dad. Um, I've been thinking about him a lot he, he he had a bad stroke a year ago he's been in 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 tough shape but but he's hanging in there and it's is which is awesome and uh but he he used to preach that engagement you know engaging with people and being open and and, and actually to the point where you know as a kid I was embarrassed by him because he was yes. talking to everybody and I was and I was like dad like Shut up! Leave, yeah. leave these people alone. And, yeah. But you know, standing on a train platform or wherever he was, he was he was always just striking up conversations with strangers. But the thing is, it always left everybody smiling, feeling good, feeling good. Yeah. Like yeah. I like like at first people were sometimes, "Who's this dude? <laughs> like, why is he talking to us?" And then you know, ten minutes later, everyone's smiling and sharing their info. You know, passing on, "Hey, well, next time you're in Topeka, Kansas, like, come say hi." You know, and. And so I just saw firsthand the, the meaning of, of the value of, of engaging with people. And, and honestly, I just, I uh, I caught it, I guess it doesn't skip a generation. I just, no, you got I got it. it, I got it direct from him and, and, uh, but it has made my life richer and, and, and a and, better storyteller. Yeah. Yeah.
0: When, when, uh, my, my father-in-law says, you know, when you're, when you're transmitting, you can't receive, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. I think is so great as a. As a storyteller like yourself, wow, what you, a great,
1: what a great way to put it. Yeah, yeah like a walkie-talkie. You know, when yeah. you have the button pressed down and you're talking, you're not. No Nothing's one, no coming one can, back. No one can talk to you.
0: Yeah, uh, we have a mutual friend who's an amazing. Uh, I guess you could call him an artist. Really, he mixes yeah. sound, yeah. and he really is an artist. He's so good. Um, <laughs> he mixed *Loride*, a film that that we made about retracing 1928 Tour de France. That's right. He also, did he mix a film that you were working on? Yes,
1: yeah. Um, my new film is called 17 Blocks. Yes. And uh, it's fun to say new, since uh, we started working on it in 1999. Um, Are you I, serious? It's yeah, yeah, yeah. been that long? Yeah, so I, I was a young guy, like right out of college and I moved to DC. Uh, and uh, I, on a basketball court, I love playing basketball. A lot of my great friendships have been built on basketball courts including this one. So I I met this young guy named Smurf, he was like 15. And then his little brother, Emmanuel used to just hang around the court. He was nine years old at the time. And I just bought my first video camera. I really wanted to learn filmmaking. So I would give the camera to Emmanuel so he wouldn't bug us, you know, he was only nine. And then I started looking at the footage he was shooting and it was was really something, you know, he had- Insightful. Yeah, he had a poetic eye and he would film just nice images around what is a very rough neighborhood they lived 17 blocks behind the U.S. Capitol building hence the name right right, is why we call the movie 17 blocks but but it was it was known at the time as one of the most dangerous neighborhoods in the U.S. and but Emmanuel and I met their sister Denise and their mom Cheryl and um, the the way Cheryl puts it is that they adopted me which is kind of true because I, I was a little lost at the time and even though I had great family like I was very far away from them and and uh, they kind of took me in and I started spending every day at their house and we would wander around the neighborhood just interviewing people on the street Emmanuel and I would interview each other and then I would just leave my camera there with him so he would film his family and his friends and and other things in the neighborhood he'd invite his neighbors in and ask them about their lives or we kind of tag team interview them you know and uh and then he would he would do that with his brother and sister and his mom and and that we continued that for 10 years um, I, I moved out of DC, but I kept so he's coming what, back. Uh, so he, he, had, he graduated high school at that time. He was, okay. he was 18 or 19, so 18 or 19. Yeah. And, and he, and he was the first in his family to graduate high school. He he started training to be a, a firefighter and, uh, and was also engaged to his high school girlfriend that year, a few months after graduation, um, there was shooting in his neighborhood and Emmanuel died. Oh. And, and, you know, I was, I was there the next day. Uh, I, I was in Michigan, I got there the next day and and his mom, Cheryl said, where's the cameras? And, and I, I said, what do you mean? Like, I'm, you know, I was here to help, I'm just here to help whatever needs. She said, you don't understand, like this is such a common thing. Like so many kids in our neighborhood are killed every week. A lot of her friends had lost their children to gun violence, but she said, no one's been documented as thoroughly throughout their entire life as Emmanuel. Like people will finally get it rather than just being like a, a number, a statistic or some abstract concept.
0: Which is the opposite of what you would have imagined right. hearing her say, right? Because no, if your, you had you turned up with cameras, you probably would have thought this is totally inappropriate. Abs- absolutely, because it's the most
1: raw. Gut-wrenching d- thing. You have a child, you, you yes. can, can't even imagine. Yeah, you can't, you can't imagine losing a kid and, and right on your front of your house, you know, and so, but she said that's why we, she knew the pain that she was, and heartbreak that she was gonna be walking through in the days and weeks and really months that would follow and and she she wanted wanted that out there yes she wanted uh people to be able to put themselves in her shoes so what did you do and so we filmed i filmed her uh smurf and denise Emmanuel's siblings and and cheryl too and and we filmed all of it and it's and i mean you know they they go to visit there's a t-shirt shop down in the street that sells r.i.p memorial t-shirts um and that's the sole function basically of this shop is just it's so there's you know just to sell t-shirts that you see their front window and it's all all the samples are all r.i.p you know with teenagers People on there past yeah yeah and uh and you know the, the f- film documents some pretty raw stuff but now you could trace the victim of one of these shootings like uh that are so common you could trace it all the way back to when they were you know a little boy like like i've got on showing you well, how postcard. old is he in this photo he's nine there. years old this is the, this is the year i met him now we thought we were done after a year of filming the aftermath but by this point, his brother and sister, they had their own kids, and we just kept filming with them, and we kept filming until a few weeks ago. A few so, so weeks ago. So because now his, this Emmanuel's nephews and nieces, his brother and, and sisters' kids, are the age are the ages that that they were when I met them. Huh. So now they're like ten 11, the years old. That's the next generation. That's the next generation. They're living in the same neighborhood. They're bright, curious, awesome kids. Justin kale little smurf smurf's oldest son (laughs) and uh, little smurf Smurf, they call him yeah and and faith is is, uh justin's sister so so these kids i mean you see in them you see in justin emmanuel's nephew you see you man you just see emmanuel when he was that age repeating himself yes yes and and so the question the film asks is like how can we change the outcomes for kids like justin and little smurf who are like growing up in the same neighborhood and we saw what happened to emmanuel but like these kids are just as cool just as curious and deserve better, you know, and so it's a tw- so it's twenty years in the in the life of this family, and I mean it's it's not even really out out yet in the world. It, it we premiered at the Tribeca Film Festival a few weeks ago in that's New York. That's a fam- fantastic it, festival. It was it was an, it was a great and congratulations. Thanks, thank you, and, and yeah, we, and especially
0: so, when you hear of a twenty-year journey to make mm, a film to mm.
1: finally see it. I mean, that's an, another reason I think, you know, why it's worth engaging, and it's worth I think whenever you have ideas, just. Follow following them. them because you don't know which ones will turn into something well, you know what I,
0: I, I think yeah. it speaks to the idea that you can wait for people to give you permission to do something or you can just take it upon yourself to go with gut instinct and you didn't know whether it was going to be just documenting a piece of American yeah. history or that you'd end up at the Tribeca Film Festival right which and is a huge achievement there's something in all of us yeah. that is unique that nobody else has there's some vision that you have there's some story that needs to be told that needs to come from your soul
1: and only you can tell it yeah only you only you will have that idea you know with the sanford family um you know and we we talked about ways we can change outcomes for kids in, in growing up in these kinds of neighborhoods and so cheryl had the idea after her son passed you know what what can we do to change things so these kids just have different trajectory and and she remembered I always talked about uh, I, I love camping and hiking and I always talked about taking Emmanuel camping and hiking and I never did and I regret that
0: and, the, and would it be fair to say that these inner city kids mm-hmm. have never seen nature the way you and I know nature
1: even in neighborhoods beyond their like 10 block radius you know so for a lot of these kids like that's all they know and, and 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 Cheryl actually I mean she's so big hearted this is crazy but five days after her son died she wrote a poem to the two young men who had taken his life, f- forgiving them, praying for them. And she also said she wanted to cha- give kids like them more opportunities. So she said, let's take kids from our neighborhood camping and hiking. And the first year it was just like 12 kids from their block. Uh, we went from Washington DC to Mount Washington in New Hampshire. So we, we called it Washington to Washington. And we hiked up to the top of Mount Washington, which is no, it's not Everest, but it's, 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 you're up there and there's winds and there's, it's Everest for some people. Yes. It's, it's for a kid that's never left the city before. It's, it's pretty incredible. And, 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 and along with climbing a mountain, it was swimming and canoeing and camping and campfires, you know, s'mores, ghost stories. How does it change
0: their lives when they are exposed to something like this? People from a neighborhood like Mm -hmm. Mm Emmanuel's
1: you just see this openness, like kind of kids have sometimes steeled themselves off. They they see a lot of rough things every day and they do have to deal For with protection. It a lot. For protection. They've maybe closed themselves off a little bit and it takes a day or two and then you just see this this melting and you see smiles, you see kids like, you know, these things are fun, you know. It's like going Sp- to another planet. Yes, and, and, and it's also exactly, it's such, just gives them the sense of possibility mm-hmm. if all you've ever There's known something else out there is like you know yes is is like just what's in your neighborhood and like your idea of what's possible in the world or what you might be interested in doing one day or where you might want to visit or go it's so limited and and the, w- the way we fund these trips it's 100 percent volunteer so 20 of my friends come as trip leaders help out for free and the, the funding and comes from the fund it's just from ordinary people like our friends and just people see, it's it's called Washington to Washington. Is there so, a website yeah, people yep, can go people to, to? People go to the website, Washington to Washington.org. And, T-O, and, Washington yeah, yeah, Washington, to? T-O, Washington yep. to Washington.org. And 200 bucks is all it takes to get a kid to out. To take one kid. Yeah, take one kid on the trip.
0: So you're a filmmaker, you're a philanthropist, a writer and you're like a Renaissance man. Like
1: how, how do you describe yourself? I, I I guess I usually say I'm a writer and filmmaker. Storyteller, yeah, but storyteller is yeah. what it is. Yeah,
0: you're a, a com- contributor as a writer, written for GQ, right? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Um, right. And for, then you have a connection with uh, Th- this American Life.
1: Yeah, when I heard the radio show This American Life, I, I just thought this is exactly my language. You know, like that sense of curiosity and what want, is it about wonder. that show? It's just uh, the storytelling. It's so it's so intricate and it's also personal. You know, and people often share really personal stories from their own life. So. So I did, a, I did a story about my mom's deafness and, and um, I did, I did one, the first one I did was uh, about Mr. Rogers. Uh, I interviewed all my neighbors in Chicago uh, where I was living at the time about the conflicts they were having with each other. And then I played the tapes for Mr. Rogers and, and like he, uh, you know, he mediated their disputes and it wasn't just him. He pulled out all the puppets from the land of make-believe, you know, he has X to Owl and King Friday. and he. And he's doing all these voices and stuff, but he he was talking about these adult problems in a you know a very real world way, and, and he was so wise and had so many he had insights. this ability to simplify a message, yes, th- especially talking to kids, you know, just totally. Th- th- and he talked about uh, real things with them, death, divorce, things that really mattered. Yeah, 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 and and things that were affecting kids, but that people normally wouldn't, you know. Uh, talk to a kid about. Yeah. So I learned a lot from him just in the, in the short time I had hanging with Mr. Rogers. And, and, and I got to do a lot of, you know, a dozen other stories like that for This American Life over the years. Um, but, one, but one of the, one of the fun, fun things that we did was uh, after being d- a radio show for so long, Ira Glass, who's the host of the show, yes. he said, he said let's, do, let's do a live tour. Let's actually see our audience and be in front of them in, in person. And Ira asked me to come and bring, and bring Found Magazine uh with me and some of my favorite notes and share those
0: so so that takes us back to this dark and stormy night 2000
1: right and you see and
0: you see a message on a car
1: yeah yeah i it was my car oh it was was your car yeah so i i I came out of my i was gonna say like what are you doing looking at people's messages (laughs) no no, i I saw you know it was yeah this winter night in chicago freezing my butt off and i saw this this folded up note on my windshield addressed to mario so i'm like well my name is davy not Mario, but let me see what this thing's all about. So I open it up. This note to Mario was I,
0: I have it quoted you, exactly oh here. Oh yeah, you, you want to Unless share? you remember
1: it exactly. Um, you, you read it. It says, Mario... And this, this is on my car. Yeah. yeah, it's
0: sitting on your car. Yeah, yeah. And you're not Mario, but it's on your car. Mario, I fucking hate you. <laughs> you said you have to work, then why's your car here at her place? Question mark, question mark. You're a fucking liar. <laughs> Full stop. I hate you. I fucking hate you, Amber.
1: PS Page Me Later. <laughs> page, page Me Later and and that was the line that got me, I think, because What she, a turn. Yeah, she yeah, it's <laughs> a, a great it's a great turn. She's so angry, so upset with him, but still ultimately hopeful and in love a little bit, you know. She she's pissed off, but she still wants him to page her later. And I always wish she had left her pager number so I could have got in touch with her and said like it, it wasn't it's not Mario but I can be if you want me to <laughs> yeah, be <laughs> yeah hey maybe we should hang out you seem like a passionate person <laughs> yeah <laughs> um I but but I started showing that note to my friends the more people I shared that note with the more friends of mine said oh I've got a great note I found like I found this to-do list last week you know on the bus I found this uh note blowing around the parking lot at the bowling alley you know and love letters before I knew it people were handing me in and then mailing me love letters to-do lists journal oh entries God, you i opened a- i started collecting these <laughs> things yeah <laughs> you opened a door big time right yes i remember just sitting there one day thinking like you yeah, know, i've been collecting all this found stuff and i knew i wanted to share it with people and i thought well i should make a magazine like found magazine i could just literally just put these notes and letters in it and let I everybody love the name
0: by the way too yeah
1: found it is it i like things sometimes that are what they are me and my two cousins who were like they were like 15 and 10 or something we we spent a few days and a couple other friends we spent a few days just taping all of the picking our favorite finds that i collected over the last year taping them together and making a little zine and we went to kinko as i remember we were going to make 50 copies because that, that's how big my ambitions were i was like right, let's make 50 copies of this and this punk rock kid was working behind the counter at three in the morning and he said dude this is awesome let's make 800 and I was like, oh, that sounds expensive. He's like, no, nah, no, nah, man. I, I got the serious? night shift. Like, let's just do this. And so so we we made 800. We collated. We stapled them together. And-
0: I like this quote you said. I think it's a mistake for folks to believe that you have to go out of your way to find things. It's more of a matter of simply keeping your eyes peeled during your everyday wanderings through the world. And you say that you've been publishing People's Most Private Thoughts in Found Magazine now for, well, it's going to be...
1: Yes, 18 years. 18
0: years. Yeah. But... Um, you're you're saying, I I guess that goes down to your observation skills, right? When when you're curious, you become super observant, right? About what's
1: around you. True, yeah, exactly. Like I just tell people, you don't have to even go out looking for found notes and letters, just in your everyday wanderings through the world, you know, on your way to school, on the way to work, on the sidewalk, on on the bus. People leave things lying around. And and taking a second when you see a piece of paper laying there to pick it up and see if it's something interesting. My brother found this one. in in ann arbor our hometown in michigan and this was like a nice looking sign someone had spent some time designing this thing it's all typed up it says after leaving the building please lock this door (laughs) it will prevent unauthorized people from entering the building and defecating in the washing machine (laughs) many thanks and and my you know we when people send in their finds i always ask them to write you know one line of interpretation or response like whatever they think about that note and so about this one, my, my brother always says, he says, uh, he says, be aware, you know, that people who are allowed to defecate in the washing machine will be given a key for entry. So, <laughs> um, and, and so, you know, and some of the notes are heartbreaking. You know, some of them are, are quite sad. They really, they run the gamut. You know, they're, they're, they're they, 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 they represent like the whole range of human experience. And, and, and that's why it's important to reach out and, and connect with people. And that's why even, you know, there's something voyeuristic about this, but I think a certain amount of voyeurism is, is, is healthy. You know, because it's healthy to be curious about the people we share the world with, and wonder what what's their experience of of being human is like. We made 800 copies, and 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 we had a party. Uh, How many have you done uh, since then? Uh, and, and since then, so we've done three found books, ten issues or nine issues of the magazine, and you know, we've my brother and I have been all over the country. We we do these found events where I read the finds and he plays songs. He's a great singer-songwriter. He writes songs based on some of these found notes. And we literally put them together then and still do now with scissors and tape, you know, putting each page together. But I
0: think that's what makes it- It, it, it fits it, it's, with it's the content. Of, it, it, yes. it has that tactile nature. And is there anything greater, really? I mean, uh, you know, my wife collects notes. She's mm-hmm. kept all her notes. They're in big boxes. Yeah. Uh, I, I make sure that they're put away safely because yeah. they're love notes going... I don't read them, by the way. Right, right, right. <laughs> right. But no, they're love notes. They go way back to when she you know, was young. Um, but I, I also collect certain notes. I have I have every letter that my grandmother ever wrote me when I was in boarding school. That's and amazing. I, they're a big stack of um, aerograms, you know? The, yeah, those yeah sure, I remember those, yeah. yeah. But little drawings that you would do on them, and
1: I go back hey, and you, I, I was read gonna, them. You, you've, you've gone through those? Yeah,
0: and... well I go back through them because then you see things that you just skimmed over because the context was different at the time. And it, and it must
1: bring back very specific memories.
0: Yeah, and things, r- reminders about things that I'd forgotten. And, and I love this quote, you say, you feel that you can learn something about someone with something as simple as a note that they left. You can feel the emotion through mm-hmm. the note. It could be something that's intimate or it can be something that's really blunt hmm and, and you really are looking into the soul of people
1: it, it's kind of like well my mom describes my love for these found notes she, she calls it people watching on paper and since you and i are so curious about other people's lives you can learn so much about someone just through some scrap of paper that was left behind blowing down the street you know it's different from an email
0: too right mm-hmm. when you, you know how they say you you can misread an email yeah tone it, 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 it The rather tone of an email mm-hmm. there's something in a note when it's tactile like you said whether they're pressed really hard yeah. when they were saying yeah. something or just in the in in the structure of the the way that they've written it yeah that you can see the humor or you can see the intent totally totally but in a in helvetica
1: on, right on an e- in an email, email kind of looked you same. there's you're... so
0: much missed true
1: true and 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 you know, that said, as technology evolves, people are writing less and less. But you can still find stuff. You know, to me, a found note is something that gives you a glimpse into someone else's life.
0: You also did another film called uh, Medora? Yeah.
1: Um,
0: and that was, when did that one come out? Yeah,
1: Medora came out about five years ago.
0: Okay, and, and so you've, you've got this other film, 17 blocks, going through all of these years, and then yeah. side, you take a sidetrack and you go over to Medora. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, I read this article in the New York Times. Um, John Branch is, like, one of my favorite uh, Journalist, Pulitzer Prize winner great great writer and he uh he wrote about this small town basketball team in rural Indiana Medora high school they had not won a game in years and it was a town that was dwindling uh, the factories had shut down meth had moved in and, and and these are the towns that you know built America and you know these small towns with their local the fact- foundation factories stones. yeah oh. th- and they literally Medora is known for its bricks it yeah. makes and it makes marble a lot of the marble that's in the washington dc at the capitol the capitol dome and the lincoln memorial oh, weird how it, it t- all yes it all comes 17 blocks and then Medora, they are, they to are washington. connected i never thought about that until just this moment oh, yeah but you're right but so so this town was the ultimate underdog you know and and the basketball team couldn't hadn't won a game in many years but but it occurred to me as a big basketball fan and also as someone i'm from michigan you know and, and we have our small towns that are similar i thought you know every game is going to be like really dramatic because every game could be is like a championship game that's that maybe that's the one game they're, they're just looking win. for that win that's all they need is one win a win is is yeah. winning the championship yes yeah exactly so so uh, a friend of mine andrew cone uh, he joined me down there for a year and a half and we 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 moved into the town and and, and this they they welcomed us uh they they you know, we play basketball with them and, and we we would s- s- film all their games and, and their, their lives at home. And and I'd have tears in my eyes sometimes at the end of a close game because I, I wanted so badly for them to win. And and um, but but what you saw was a really special community. And and even if some kids were struggling and, you know, there was there was the star of the team was was homeless living out of a car when we first got there. Um, it's interesting because all the struggles I saw in, in inner city, D.C., you know, I saw similar stories in rural America, and 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 these places in a are different culture. Are, they're they're more bound together than they realize. Right. When you're when you're when you're fighting, you know, when you have no economic opportunity, and you're and you're really struggling with poverty, and 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 all the things that come with it. But um, and in fact, the kids from that team, from that town, that team, I'm still really close with them. And and uh, making Medora was was a really special experience. But how long did you shoot that over? Uh, was, I mean, it was over about a three-year period, uh, mostly a year and a half, and then kept coming back a little bit as some of the younger kids were graduating high school. That's what I admire about, you know, just reading about what you've done. I just admire
0: that you're, you've are you never waited for somebody to give you permission to do the things that you
1: want to do. Yeah. And that's why you've you, got things you, done. You can. not and, and 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 let me be clear, too. Not every project turned from, like, found magazine, from some little zine, no. into, you know, three books and, you know, all these magazines and years later, you know, hundreds of city tours. But when
0: th- you fell over it helped you be better at doing the things that you ended up doing right
1: yes because there were times when i was so excited about something and so passionate and and did put time and energy and effort and yep. and resources into it and nothing much happened with it but I, you know i thought well this i learned something from this that's the key to it is that
0: what you whatever it is you do is is a a, a stepping stone to the things that you are technically successful at yeah so that's to me why this analysis paralysis, this idea of overthinking whether you should do something because it's a passive fail thing. Right. It's total bullshit. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, I think of some of the things that I have not Agreed. managed to get off the ground. I learned so much from that process. Yeah. I could
1: then apply it to things that ended up being... Totally. A success. And, and I don't even think it means that those ideas weren't good ideas or that they, or that those projects... It just didn't might have not have been value. the right time. Yeah, it, maybe it wasn't the right time or maybe, the, you know, there's there's other factors at play always and like, you know, people... yeah people didn't catch on to it or maybe your execution of it wasn't the way you know perfect you know but 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 it's a has to be a perfect storm i'm reminded my dad always said Mm -hmm. it's
0: easier to critique than it is to create so when people critique i i always say to them well there's nothing stopping you you know creating yeah i'd love to critique something you've done yeah yeah (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. go make something so i can uh, go watch a film and they say oh that was a piece of crap right right dude this these people mortgage their house to get this done yeah you have, have to make
1: you make sacrifices and and um and I, and I think too like it's even even your failures you know when you look back you know would i have rather spent yeah I, I could have had more money and on on a boat or on you know something else you know even those fa- failures like they you have to have you have to enjoy it while you're doing it too yes the journey the, the journey the journey is <laughs> ultimate that's what our life is well i know
0: that it took Clint Eastwood, yeah. if I'm not mistaken, 15 years to get Million Dollar Baby made. Mm-hmm. And a, an and Academy he's... Award-winning director who did Unforgiven in 1992. And 15. it takes him 15 years to get that movie made. Everybody passed on it. Wow. And he was determined to get it made. So, it, again, it was just a reminder that- It's never easy for anybody.
1: Never easy for anybody. Yeah. No matter where you have an Academy Award or who you are. Yeah, yeah. And, and it just gonna, it takes that passion, that spark. and 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 also knowing that it's it's better to try and fail than than to not try at all.
0: Well, I I, I admire that in you. And speaking of people who've just got like unbelievable tenacity, you were you were on a uh, assignment for GQ mm. and did a story about somebody who just who who achieved something which is mind blowing to me. Yeah, I, I mean I can't quite absolutely. believe this
1: story. Absolutely, and I yeah I. I learned a lot about passion and drive through this young Marine named Jul- uh, Julian Torres, and Julian's from uh, Northern California, and he he went to Afghanistan, uh, lost both his legs to a IED blast, and uh, came back to California and was just he was hurting. I mean, the the transition from being a not just a walking person to someone with with no legs, and he got prosthetic legs, but. But uh, but to, from being a soldier and you know sort of shaping your life around your job and you know that's something you you he know, wanted to be his whole life and and then to not be able to do that anymore he was utterly lost at the age of like 23 24 and he heard about a guy named Tim Medvitz from the Heroes Project yeah. who, who takes uh, uh, wounded veterans um, amputees uh, up to climb some of the world's highest mountains so he hooked in Julian hooked in with him and. And uh, and Tim said, "Well, if you're serious about this, you know I'll take you to Mount Kilimanjaro. You can, you'll, have, well, we'll get you to the top of Mount Kilimanjaro." Yeah, you know, I mean, Julian at the time, he was he was having trouble getting his groceries into the car. You know, much less climbing a hill, much less climbing the tallest mountain in Africa. So, but but he started training for, over the course of a year, and he got really fit. And and then uh, I got to go along with them. And and Tim's climbed Everest multiple times, right? I I. You know I've climbed Mount Paldy, you know it's 10,000 feet it's over here at Mount San Jacinto in Palm Springs you know I've never so so this was going to be a test for me too and and there were many times on the trail it was a 12-day journey for us up the up Mount Kilimanjaro and there's many times that Julian was way up ahead of me and this is a guy with no legs he's you know he's got prosthetic legs but he's he's just fighting his way every foot and at the end of every night you know he's he, um, it, he, he we, had sores the stubs the, b- the stubs are, yeah. were, were, uh, raw. were raw they were bleeding raw and and it's quite dangerous in a way because if they do get infected they might have to reamputate higher up his leg and so i mean he was he really put a lot on the line to do this and 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 he was driven by the memories of some of his friends that lost their life uh, overseas in combat and and he and he just showed such determination and it was absolutely incredible to watch him there's a place called the baronco wall almost a 900 foot cliff and uh it's you know you're not on ropes or anything but it's just steep section after steep bluff you know little mini 15 foot cliffs one after precarious. another after another. Very, very, precarious. very precarious and if you do go over the edge you're gonna you're gonna tumble down quite a few of these and and just to see julian like that sense of humor that he had you know he just uh made it, your writing easy yeah yeah that was probably the easiest story i've ever had to write because i just witnessed it all and you know at the end of the night i'd be you know, as soon as we get to camp I'd you know I'd want to go to sleep within three minutes Julian would take out his chess set he'd be he'd say come on let's play a game of chess before bed I'm like this guy's a maniac but but uh but Julian became a lifelong friend to me you know and that just happened uh being being on that trip with him and get, getting getting to witness his his passenger drive and I think about him sometimes when I when I'm struggling say I have a writing deadline you yeah. know and I'm like oh, I'll never be able to f- finish this is I got I got 3,000 words to write before morning I'm like well... Julian what did... What would Julian do? Julian did conquer the Barranco wall in a typhoon, you know. Well, he had very, so, very sore legs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so...
0: Well, you said, you said about the climb, you said, a guy with no legs should not be able to climb a mountain. <laughs> it should be impossible. But here before me, the impossible is happening. One painful step at a time. You were witnessing something that is inconceivable. Yeah,
1: yeah, It it... It was hard to put into words you know actually there was a lot to write about and at the same time it was hard to describe what a powerful feeling it was to watch somebody uh push themselves to their very very limits and and not just physically but emotionally because i could see everything that he was going through and and uh he was carrying a lot on his shoulders during that trip you know and and uh julian torres yeah i mean he uh it, I, I, was, I was so happy that I could just be there to witness it. The number of
0: people that I've spoken to have been through some life-changing experience mm. uh, with the exception of maybe one yeah. um, who is still trying to find answers, but uh, the majority of them Paul de Gelder who was attacked by a bull shark. You know, he talks about the fact that
1: it was the best thing that ever happened to him because mm. this tragedy led mm. to uh, a better life. And, and you know, my mom says the same thing. Uh, she was 29 when she lost her hearing. And uh, she had a terrible illness, and the the nerves from her brain to her ears were severed. So she lost all inner ear function. So, not, not just hearing, but balance. She couldn't walk for a year. She was crawling. And I think, in that moment, when people have suffered a devastating loss, I think having being contacted, you know, having someone like Julian Torres, you know, Tim Edvitz come, come into your life and, and, and remind you like, it's going to get better. You're going to adapt, you know. And and it's about it's about the attitude that you have going forward, and uh, honestly, I, I try to be that voice even when friends are going through like a broken relationship, you know, because that's another that's like being having a limb amputated sometimes. Absolutely, and, broken heart. Yeah, broken heart. Well, you you know about that? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, <laughs> <trying>.
0: <laughs> well, what what is
1: this article you wrote
0: about 22 crushes? Oh, yeah. <laughs>
1: I, I, yeah, I wrote. That's a, a lot f- of crushes. I wrote about Are you, you're
0: you're prone to infatuation.
1: Yeah, uh yes. <laughs> California Sunday Magazine, great great magazine. Um they they were doing a special issue um about you know your teenage years and I I I just found, you know, you were talking about finding the letters that your mom wrote yeah. you and you know when you were away at school and and I just found this old journal of mine from high school maybe, you know, junior high, high school. And uh and there was literally one page where I where I had listed the 22 loves of my life yes, and I was 13 at the time.
0: Yeah, I I have the quote. He said, at 13, I listed the 22 loves of my life with a red heart around each one. My crushes sometimes overlapped, but usually one shone brightest. And as the weeks or months passed, it would fade as another rose would take its place. Seeing the names again after so long
1: transfixed me. Because I was curious, you know, who, who were these... Women, I mean, we, I I was 12, 13, they were too, but like, what What became of those wonderful women? Yeah, and and what, what, what has their trajectory been? And what, you know, there was something connecting us at that age, you know, what, what would it be like to talk to some of them again? And, and, uh, and and it was That began the search. It it, it was fun to, to track some of them down and, and to find in, in a few instances, you know, that, that there was still some. You know th- that my instincts hadn't been all wrong. Like actually, these people had gone on to live lives. You know where, where you know what what, what attracted me to them in the first place. You know what, what what whatever their spark was, that that was still shining brightly in them. And it was fun. It was really fun to kind of. Uh, Reconnect Reignite with the, the teenage crush. Well, I would say it, 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 it wasn't so much that the crush was back on in full swing as much as just that human connection. That like fre- you realize there that was that something friendship. about that in the first place. Y- yes. Yeah. He said,
0: nothing releases the same set of endorphins and hits your pleasure centers quite like a teenage crush. Each one is its own particular joy. Yeah. The yeah. what if, the what could have been.
1: Well, I, you know, I wrote this book, My Heart is an Idiot. And yeah. it, it's all personal essays about, you, this, these are more women. I was dating in my 20s and 30s. Very self-deprecating early 30s. title. Yeah, well, I, my heart has been an idiot over the years. Fortunately, uh, come out, the, came out the other end of that a little You're, bit. You've but got love now it, in your yeah, life? Yeah, yeah. Um, a great wife, Margaret, and, okay. uh, and and our beautiful one-year-old son, Desmond. But, but, uh, but I definitely had a rocky time of it for a very long time. And long enough time that I feel like, I can give advice to other people who are in their 20s, 30s, So what 40s, advice do you give struggling? to people
0: who are struggling well, with love?
1: Well, mostly just that, uh, you know, mostly that they'll find love again. Because I think that's the biggest thing when somebody, yeah. when, when a relationship really fails. When the heart gets broken. And the heart is broken, it, it's easy to feel like that's the end of the road, you mm-hmm. know. You don't need 22 crushes so, though, right? No, mean, no. <laughs> <laughs> but, but just, just to remind, because people I think need to hear that. Yeah. You know, and they might even know it intellectually but to have friends or a stranger, you know, yeah. in a book writing, you know, to them kind of helps people, you know, remind people, okay, like this hurts and that's for good reasons. Cause I really cared, you know, and, and I really loved and, and, but that you'll find love again. And, and uh, so, you know, I think I, I like sharing personal stories and, and just like when you, when you meet people, um, I like being you know, you could call it being nosy but you could call it being curious yeah but I like uh I like just digging right in and hearing people's real stories and you know I think I think my mom taught me that too because because of her deafness she she didn't have much time for small talk because it was you know it took long enough just for people to take a lot of effort it was a lot of work just to do half an hour of banter before so she'd start right in you know well I'm glad you
0: found love with margaret me too. And me
1: too it took a while yeah
0: but it took a while that's good for you yeah took your time got the right person yeah so the future like anything on the horizon something we should be
1: looking out for yeah you? yeah just work well we're gonna bring 17 blocks out into the world later this yeah. year yeah um we we we're gonna share. Looks it like in you big, got a good list of,
0: of. You said
1: Tribeca. Yeah, yeah. We've been at a bunch of other film festivals the past few weeks, and and it's gonna be out in theaters and and um, and, uh, and on TV later in the year. But beyond that, I have a new. I have a, a narrative film that I'm working on that I'm just uh, writing right now. I'm also writing uh, for a friend of mine, a filmmaker named Ross Partridge. Great, great actor and filmmaker here in LA, and um, he read one of the essays in My Heart Is an Idiot. It's it's called New York, New York. And it's about uh, in the immediate aftermath of, of September eleventh, I went from Chicago, I took a Greyhound bus to New York, just the next day um, to do some reporting for for this American life. And and this essay is just about the people I met on the bus. You know, if you remember going like, there. Yeah, going yeah. there. People it was no flights it was a mystery, were, no all the flights swung, were canceled, yeah. everyone's just trying to get home from wherever they were, they're trying to get back home, you know, to New York, to wherever they were on the East Coast. And this is just about a bus full of people kind of bonding in the aftermath of this huge tragedy and, and trying to make sense of things. So um, Ross really gravitated toward this piece. So I'm writing the script and, and we're planning to film it next year. So that'll be a great one too.
0: Great, I love it. Yeah,
1: um, what about you? I'm the, gonna be the
0: bus driver on your good, film. Again. Good, uh, good. <laughs> you're hired. Hang on everybody, <laughs> Well, the bus it's gonna driver, be
1: like speed. The bus driver <laughs> in the essay is described uh, as, as a kind of crazy looking pirate so um uh how's this <laughs> that, that that i think you've got yeah, it yeah i can do crazy yeah you're, you're hired yeah so uh i i end
0: the podcast with some questions and and speaking of driving let's imagine you're you're going to drive across the country mm-hmm.
1: i love road trips across the country
0: and you're going to take three people from any time in history in the vehicle with you who would you take with you
1: mm. this is this is awesome well, I think you know I, I love music. You always need m- good music on a road trip. Yeah. And uh, and I, I'm a Simon and Garfunkel guy, so I'm gonna have Paul Simon sitting in the back seat that. with his guitar, just playing some tunes for us. That would be, you know, usually I usually I got him on the cassette deck. So, so it's
0: Paul Simon, or are you taking Simon and Garfunkel?
1: Uh, let's just take one. Let's take one. I'll take Paul Simon. Maybe if maybe we'll st- stop and visit well, art along P- the way. Well, uh, because
0: Garfunkel didn't play the. Um... He was a singer, right? But he didn't yeah. play the guitar. Right? Yeah, yeah. I don't think so. I don't think, I think so. it was only Paul yeah, yeah, Simon. Yeah, yeah. Paul Simon yeah. played the guitar. Okay. Right? So and, and
1: that's good. You got your music. I got my music I'm gonna take uh, as a, I'm gonna take Jim Carroll uh, now this guy yep. wrote, wrote the basketball diaries yes that way if we stop along the way we can shoot hoops yeah we, I like on road trips I like stopping to play basketball with people in, in each town I stop in because that's a way to really get a sense of what that town is like and who lives there yep and You're one more person in yeah, your car I'm gonna go with uh, uh, Oprah, Oprah Winfrey okay all right just uh, I just saw her speak in Colorado. uh, you got inspired and and i got inspired yeah i i i I didn't know that i would because i had i haven't been an oprah fan i haven't really you know followed her her story really that closely
0: the last question i have for you is your last day on earth like Mm. let's say you could plan your last day on earth you Mm. could do whatever you want with it Mm. what would you
1: do well i would try to do what i do on my birthday every year which is i try to climb a mountain and swim in the ocean on the same day. On the same day. Yeah, yeah. So from the peak to yeah, the ocean. Yeah, yeah, because those are about two of my favorite things to do, and that's just living, you know. Um, I, I would obviously want to spend time with my son and my wife and my, and uh, and my family, um, and uh, probably have probably have a big party at the end. Get get some some nice bourbon going. Uh, You're a bourbon guy, huh? Yeah, yeah. And uh, maybe take a few swigs of that before midnight, uh, <laughs> but with, with a bunch of my closest family and friends. Dude, you're you're
0: awesome. You're such an interesting character and uh Thanks, Phil. Interested to see what you're gonna do.
1: Cool, man. In well, the I look future, forward to staying you know? in touch with you and yeah, me sharing, too, sharing man. this projects, man. It's really been so great talking your, to you. Appreciate your time. Yeah. I appreciate your, your energy and your and your spirit. So, wow. thank you. feelings mutual. Cool, man. Yeah. Well,
0: and what do we say? We say take it before you kick it.
1: That's right. Right? Absolutely. That's it's, what you live it's, in. So important. So bucket important.
0: which r- rhymes
1: with Fuck it, I'm just gonna do it. <laughs> Fuck it. I mean let's 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 do it. Boom. <laughs> Now's the time. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed today's podcast.
0: To see more great interviews, go to philcogan.com and subscribe to Bucket with Phil Kogan wherever you get your podcasts. Please consider rating and reviewing us. And follow Bucket, that's Bucket with an IT, on Instagram and Facebook. Also, follow me on Twitter at PhilCogan. Today's podcast proudly brought to you by Bucket Nutrition. Great tasting, high performance nutrition to power your adventure. Don't forget to go to Amazon.com, search for Bucket Nutrition and use promo code Bucket10. That's Bucket with an I-T and you'll get a 10% discount on all Bucket Nutritional products. Just wait until you try the Bucket Booster with Manuka Honey.